0: As they pass the basket, I want to give you a quick um, uh, testimony. Gary Hippolyte is my friend. Those of you that, that uh, have been around him very much, he's a prayerful man. He's a guy that doesn't move without prayer. He is, he is, uh, his whole ministry in Haiti is a prayer ministry. The humanitarian and school work that happens there comes out of the prayer ministry at Bethel Mission Outreach. And uh, yesterday, uh, Gary came to see me, and he is, um, uh, yeah, he's on the screen. He, uh, he called me and said, hey, I want to come see you and pray for you. I said, absolutely, you come see me and pray for me. And it's a big deal when Gary comes. Gary doesn't, he's not flippant with the resources. It costs him 50 bucks to drive that old truck of his over to see me. And I had to work late, and so we couldn't coordinate unless he came to the house. Yesterday, when he came in, I was, I was looking frantically for a set of car keys. I saw a title of a book one time, I'd change the world by find my car keys. I'm a person when I come in at night, I come, I, I disrobe. Everything comes out. I, I, have, I have keys. I have stuff everywhere. I have this multi-tool, just in case y'all need suppliers. I have stuff everywhere. And somehow, I don't know what I did with the keys. The one thing that I have to keep up with, they, they got lost. I don't know what it was. And so I had to go somewhere late Friday night. And, of course, I you know, uh, woke Tina up. If you found my car key, where's my car keys? I thought, because she's bad to put them in her purse, right? That's wonderful. And so um, I couldn't find them. Even on into Saturday, I couldn't find them. And when Gary showed up, I was still looking for the keys. He said, let's pray about your car keys what? I don't want to pray about car keys. God doesn't care about car keys. I said, I don't want to pray about car keys. He said, let's pray about car keys. God will help you find your car keys. And so, Mr. Intellectual, I said, okay, let's pray about car keys. Literally, the man prayed. i want to tell you this. This is a true story. This is as true as an axe head floating story. You remember that story in 2 Kings where the guy loses an axe head and for whatever reason, <laughs> God floats it up because he barged it, Right? He cared about the guy missing his axe head. The guy prayed for my, not only that, he prayed for our family and everything else, but he prayed, he said, Father, this man's looking for his car keys. You know where they are. That's what he talked about. You know where they are. He said, show us where the car keys are. This is so crazy, I can't even believe it. I'm telling you this. I get up. I said, "Okay, we we're headed to eat with my son." I get up. I go and get my jacket. He walks in the living room, and I kid you not, the man reaches down in the cushion, grabs my car keys that he could not see, and hands them to me. That literally happened to me. I want to tell you something. There's nothing in the cushions of my couch. That's Tina Town. There's not a French fried Cheeto. There's nothing in the cushions of my couch. It's spotless. I reached in, handed my car keys, and he walked (laughs) off like he had just been a slam dunk, man. (laughs) I was speechless, man, I'm telling you. God, I don't want to give the impression that somehow that's a miracle or something, but I do want to give you a reminder that a supernatural God loves you. So you've got a mountain in your life that needs to be cast into the sea, and He can do it. See, somebody came in today, I bet you, Just, you know, your butt cheeks are dragging holes on the carpet because you're just down. You can't even hold yourself up. And I'm telling you guys, a supernatural effect. I'm a scientist. I'm not a guy who everything seems to have to make sense. And God opens my eyes time and time again that I'm not a self-sufficient person, that I exist because God wills me to exist that I'm still able to speak and I'm in my right mind to worship Him. That That I even understand that He died for my sins. You understand that is a supernatural act. You and I cannot love God without Him doing that in us first. My friend came to pray for me, but he also came to do this. He came to tell me some areas that I was stumbling in. He came to tell me some things that were weighing on him that he saw from a distance that he wanted to tell me because these things were drifting me away from God. These things were not blatant sins, not some horrible, it's in the paper sins, but there are things that literally are an abomination to God because they are the arrogance of a self-sufficient man who believes he is somehow strong. I am a man... (laughs) You understand, I believe a, a head cold is a character flaw. You just got to suck it up. Let's go. That's in my mind. I, am a, I, I, I live by saying, you know, I'm just determined to go through things. As if somehow I could do it. And so it came to my mind, those truths after he prayed for me. Um, this idea of self-sufficiency. And there was a video, I ran, I, I ran this video for the elders, and I don't know if I've run it here in church now, I don't know, but I want to ask that, that, that Sarah run this, just to kind of get us lost into this passage, and I want you to take real close attention to this man, what he has to say. It's very meaningful. <clears throat>
1: In our society, strength, or at least imagined strength, is applauded. student at the school I was attending, I collided with a truck. As you would expect, the truck got the better of the exchange. They were afraid that my brain might have suffered as a result of the accident. I didn't use the word weak in those days to describe how I was feeling about myself, but That is the word that catches the feeling. I can still remember the feelings. Well, this is Packer's testimony to the reality of weakness. I have now reached the point in life where, inevitably, I am wearing out physically. I can't have many more years to go. And as I'm Conscious and wearing out physically, I find myself feeling weak. So I'm back with the theme of weakness because of what has happened to me and what is happening to me now as an old man whose body is wearing. It. God doesn't allow us to stay with the idea that we are strong. Oh, we may have idea. But the Lord is going to disabuse us when we are another. and it will be good for us and it will give glory to Him when He does so. Lest I should be puffed up because of the abundance of revelations that God had given me, I was given a thorn in the flesh. The Lord spoke to me and this is what He said. My strength is made perfect in your weakness.
0: The older I get, the closer that reality comes. I want to preach to you today a sermon that I called "A Life Worth Living." It comes from um, a letter that Paul wrote to the church. I want you to feel the pastoral love from Paul to the church at Philippi, and I want you to I want you to to, to allow God's word to move into you. I'm not going to read uh, a long passage. I, I tried this morning. I kind of got stumbled in a couple of places. But I wanted to just kind of get the the crux of why he's writing this particular segment. Um, This is because he loves it, all right? And he has this pastoral heart for this church. And this is a church um, at, at at a city called Philippi. And I can't really remember all the things that I studied about that months ago. But I do remember the city of Philippi was a city filled with veterans, they were veterans they were they were retired military men. these were men who made their living working for the Roman army. these are men who made their living killing people for the government all right these are not men who who were feigning flowers all right they were not they were not people who were who were who were prone to being a very spiritual lot. these are guys that had to Pick themselves up day in day out and do the stuff. And so, I think the the theme of weakness. I want you to I want you to hear that from Paul as he gives us three things. And literally, he 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 tells us, "I want to hear. I want to hear while while I'm in prison. I want to I want to hear you guys living a life worthy of the gospel. I want to hear about that. A life worthy of the gospel. And here's here's how you do it." Um, and here's why you do it. And so I want to just kind of hit those things um, uh, briefly. And um, this is in relation to Paul's letter. I'm in, I'm in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 1. I'm going to read uh, 11 verses. I, in the first service, I started in verse 27, but recognize that, that verse 27 was, uh, is, is still Paul's reason for doing that. So if you would stand in honor and reading God's word. And we'll see what he has to teach us this morning. This is uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, uh, let's, uh, let's read along with me. I'm going to try to take it a little better this time. It says, Paul writes, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love... Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Please be seated. Good gracious. I mean, it all ended up with Jesus, and that's where we're headed. So you got to put up with the first 15 minutes, all right? We're going to Him. We're headed that way. So let's just look at what Paul says a gospel-worthy life looks like. How we do it. I love practical teaching. I love practical, hands-on teaching. One of the reasons I love this church is that people feel this connection with each other because we understand that those who have been given much, much is required. We are a people, a body of believers. We may be very loosely connected in a lot of ways, but we have this commonality that says, Jesus Christ, if you have been given this gift, a a free gift that you did not deserve, it should affect how you live. There should be some difference. Not that you're somehow a moral. we all got our moral failures, and it's okay to pursue holiness. Don't hear me. Purity is awesome. Let's live for that. Let's live a life that glorifies Him. But this motivation that comes from us is a supernatural gift. To have a heart for the people around us, ladies and gentlemen, I'm 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 about to take a job, and everybody says, "Well." Oh, Jesus, God, be careful over there. Good night. Y'all be careful in Aston, Alabama. You be careful. Keep your head on a swivel. You realize, guys, that we are the, one of the highest per capita murder rates in our country. I want to shout, where are we, church? What are we doing? What, we got, what, what can we do? How can God be honored in how we invest in people? And the social ills of our community. Does Anderson, Alabama see Mountain View Church going? Are we pouring into um, areas of our city that, doesn't, that don't have uh, strong education or family backgrounds? I, I had prepared a sermon, started to prepare a sermon. God had this thing worked out. And then Justin got the virus. I don't want to laugh about that. He's, he's okay. But I had this thing worked out. I was going to preach a sermon from Luke um, uh, chapter 16. And I've been studying it. And then all, everything kind of changed. But it's that story. I don't know if you remember. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember the story that Jesus tells to a bunch of Pharisees who were lovers of money. And he tells a story about this rich guy. And we have a tendency to think, well, yeah, yeah. The problem is that he was real, real rich and God don't like rich people. That ain't the thing. That's not it. That's not it. No, 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 no. This man, if you read that story, the rich man and Lazarus in in Luke chapter 16, you're seeing this contrast of two hearts. You're seeing a contrast from one man. He doesn't say that the rich man was some, some evil person. Read the story. He did not say this guy, there was a guy who cheated on his wife. He didn't say that. He was a guy who was, who was uh, uh, you know, name all the bad sins that we get mad about. Name them. No. Jesus describes a man that had a heart of indifference. He had a heart of indifference. There was a man laid at his gate every day and he did not have compassion on his brother. He didn't. He, w- I get it, guys. We, well, years ago there was a. Uh, okay, I'm drifting. I got to stay back. All right, there, there was a there there was a commercial with Sally Struthers, and comedians would make fun of her because she would cry about these children. You mean, you don't remember that? You got to be old enough to remember Sally Struthers. That was Meathead and all the family. So, so Sally Struthers, you know, for whatever reason, became passionate about this. Uh, this uh, uh, it wasn't a ministry, but, a, but a, uh, it was feeding kids around the world. And they would show these graphic pictures of starving children. And we would be moved to, to donate and help. But the problem was they ran on television. And on television, you could see one moment where some child is bloated from starvation. And in the next moment, we're going to see some, you know, preparation age commercial. Everything else was, it was so banality. Everything just kind of got blended in. And we can become so callous and so indifferent. God help us, church. This may be the last shot I got to tell you this. Don't become indifferent. Don't. Stay wary of an enemy that wants you to become callous to the pain and the suffering that's around here. And it's not enough just to be affected by it. It's not enough just to say, well, that's really bad and I feel passionate about it. It's not enough to do that. James, the brother of Jesus, says, what good is it? (laughs) If all you're going to do is just say, well, go and be blessed, that ain't nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, this place for 10 years has been a place that has been determined to make a difference in our community. Matt Nelson used to say. He said. If we close the door to this church. And the only people that missed it. Are the people who attend. We have failed miserably. And I believe that's a prophetic word. Jim Keller says. That people who are not even Christians. Should say about your church. I don't agree with what they believe. But but, but oh God help us. If that place closed. That's That's what. That's what, he, that's what the unbelievers should say about us. Lord, have mercy on us for coming to church week in and week out and being indifferent. Father, we repent. Right now, I'm just going to pray. My own heart, this self-sufficient, arrogant heart. Father, I'm sorry. Father, you've given us clarity. You've given us a vision. You've given us a pastor with that kind of heart. Father, let us be faithful with what you've given us. Let us be people who go. Amen. Amen. Gospel driven life, a gospel worthy life are people who are grateful. You, you understand gospel is a gift. You didn't earn it. He didn't earn it. That's why the gospel is a gift. It's a free gift to God. God took his only son and he punished him for things that we did wrong. We get to live the life that Jesus deserves. And he suffered the punishment that we deserve. That's how this thing works. It's good news. The prerequisite for getting to heaven is to understand you have no prerequisites. The beauty of the gospel is from Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are not ungodly, you can't get to heaven. You can't get there. It is a gift of God that you understand your need for a savior. It is a gift of God that you understand what you deserve. We think, let me just give you old school rust. I used to think that hell was reserved for those really bad people, right? Not me. Charles Manson, you know. Everybody started believing in hell when Charles Manson died, right? Yeah, he, was, Yeah, he's going there. I do believe it now. Hell's made for the devil and demons. Ain't made for you it's not we have erased the doctrine of judgment and it's so deceiving we're acting like that we're being nice to people if i'm not warning you if i'm not warning you the consequences of rejecting the gift if i'm not warning you oh, that's awful you, there's, a, there's, a, there's a famous, he uh, must not be too famous, I can't pull his name up. There's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a comedian duo, Penn and Stiller. What? Yeah, I, I forget the guy's name. But he's an atheist, but one of the things he says that so struck me is that he says, I have no respect for anybody that doesn't proselytize. None. He said, how, how much you got to hate somebody not to tell them that eternal life is possible? And that's true, right? If we know that there is hope in Christ and in no other way, how much do you have to be indifferent or fearful of what they're going to say to not to lovingly say, hey man, I don't, I don't got any answers, but this is what, this is what I believe and that God loves us. He sent his son to die for us. And that, that if you believe in him, you have eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, that message, that right there, is the gospel. John three sixteen, God loved us. God gave. We believe we live. You can share the gospel. Do not be indifferent to the hurt and the pain around us, but also do not be indifferent to the fact that there is judgment. A loving God is a just God. He will by no means clear the guilty. And you and I are in desperate need of a Savior. We preach grace. I, I do. I, I, I believe that. With the greatest hymn that John Newton ever wrote, you know, uh, Amazing Grace. And the third stanza, he said, is by grace. Grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fears is relieved. Gospel worthy life is lived by thankful people. He says, how do we do it? How do we do it? Paul gives us the answer. He says this, he says, he said, let each of you, this is in verse 4, chapter 2, he says, let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Okay, he's talking to a bunch of hardened veterans. Uh, Look to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, church which is yours in Christ Jesus. We're to have the same mindset as Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Let each of you look after not only your interests, but the interest of others. That's how you do this thing. Let me ask you something. Is that something that we naturally do? Y'all can answer out loud. Look, we're all in here, just us chickens. Is that something we naturally do? No. No, No, it's not. Let me me tell you, I'm just going to be be honest with you. One thing I do not miss in the pastoral role is this heart-wrenching discussions that I have when families are torn apart. I don't miss that. I don't miss late nights talking about that. I don't miss times where I'm saying, listen, we, I don't have the answers. You know, you can be so <laughs> angry at someone that you, you, you can't even see straight. I mean, if you guys have been married long enough, you'll find that out. If you haven't been married long, you will. You can be so angry over time that resentment begins to build. And then resentment leads to contempt. Amen. And then you begin to justify a way out. You begin to glorify, glamorize a way out. I'm just doing it. I, it's, we just, you know, kids tired of hearing us argue. Let me ask you something. If two people, two people, two sinful people were to consider the other More important than themselves. How does it? How does it? How does it tear apart? You, husbands, I'm going to talk to you here just a minute. Are you out serving your wife? I'm asking. I'm looking you now. Just old Dr. Russ here. You can look me in the eye. Ask me those things because I, I fall short. I want to ask you though. Do you consider your spouse more significant than you? Houses, husbands, wives. You know, marriages are the description, they're the visible description of Christ's love for the church and the church's obedience and willful acceptance of His authority. What kind of picture are we giving in the church? Hear me, guys. I'm telling you, it's a battle. It's a fight. But I want to tell you this. The reason we consider the other spouse more significant. It's not because they're awesome, right? We're already mad about it. It is because the mission is too important. You follow me? The mission matters. See, when you vow in front of everybody that you're going to stay married, you're not saying, oh yeah, I love this woman. You're going to say, no, I will love this woman. That's what you're saying. No matter what. And I'm I'm not saying anything other than in the church, we're going to come together in the near future, and we're going to come together as a unit for a mission. We, we are. Justin Holland is God's man for this moment. I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, I've never had more confidence right now in this church than I have right now. Under his uh, brokenness, and leadership through weakness, I I, I can tell you that our mission to make disciples Is so important, our mission to pour ourselves into our community for the glory of God. Nobody needs to even know the name of Mountain View Church. Our mission is so important as we come together in membership, which will happen soon enough. As we come together in membership, the why we have to gather in membership is because the mission is too valuable to do it any other way. When Navy SEALs come together for a mission, they can't have everybody scattered everywhere. I, I might go. I'll try to be there. Y'all get on the plane wait on me. No. we got to know who's in. We're going to battle. We're actually praying for families not to be torn apart. We're actually serving people in areas of our city where there, there is some, some cautious reserve. We're actually loving people who are from different cultures. We're actually treating people more significantly that aren't of our faith. We have a mission to make disciples. That's what we're, that we're disciples. We're followers of Jesus who make followers of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe God's called us to plant a church. I believe he's, he's, he's raising up people within this body who have a call on their life to go and do, to, to be significant in our community and other communities. But the way it happens is that you're not saying, oh yeah, I'm called and I'm going to go plant a church. The way that happens is you start serving in this one. You know, right? This is a simple thing. If you be faithful in the small things, God will put you in a place where, where you are faithful in the big things. He can't trust you with a church yet. He can't because you might be there. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not telling you. Remember, I love you, right? I'm not asking you to do something I'm not willing to do. I'm asking you. I'm asking you to look at His Word, not me. Look at His Word. What does He say? Paul says, This is how you do it. You consider others more significant than yourselves. He said, Here's the example that Jesus Christ, taking the form of a servant, That's what he did. That's the way you do it. He took the form, the very nature of God, but he took the form of a servant. This is the path that you and I must follow. There's no other path. There's no other self righteous path. There's no other strong path. There's no other way except through service. There's no other way. It's not the deal we've been given to go on your route. Jesus Christ never gives anyone, never gives anyone the prerogative to decide how they will follow. He never does. Look at, look at the Bible. People say, I'll follow you anywhere. And he, he tells them what they got to do to do it. Oh, I ain't doing that. I got to bear my daddy. Even the good guys, even the guys that were delivered from demons the, the, uh, um, uh, at, the, at the tombs. I'm going to come, I'm going with you, Jesus, after he's delivered. He's in his right mind. Jesus said, go, go home and tell your family what God's done for you. Be faithful in the little things before you take off traipsing all over the world with me. Russ, consider those more significant than yourself. I want to show you that Jesus Christ humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. All right, so that's the how, right? Humility, it's it's a decision. All right, I I want want you to see, he humbled himself. So Jesus, here's the picture. The creator of the universe, God himself, father, son, and spirit, one, spoke and universes existed. Galaxies came about. He made the ocean stop at the shore. Angels are shouting to Jesus, you ain't got to go down there. You are worthy of worship. Jesus said, no, I'm humble myself. I'm not doing that. There is a path that seems right to us. My path has always been through strength to force my way through. God, forgive me. there's, There's people in this room right now that you know... You've learned from day one, hey, you got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Can't depend on nobody. Amen. You know, that's what we've learned throughout our life. I'm going to tell you something. It affected me so much as a kid. I was embarrassed to ask God for anything. Be- 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 praying was just like begging and I ain't, I ain't no beggar. But that was my heart. Can you, I can't even stand to say that. You realize that we're so dependent on a holy God to even breathe right now. Even air. You realize God's air. I've told you all this before. You're going to hear it again. God's air rushes in your lungs. You ain't even breathing. You think you're sucking air, right? <sighs> like that. You're not. It's His air that's going in. You, you go to the top of Mount Everest, you can't breathe. <laughs> it's, not an, it's not a full atmosphere there. Water doesn't even boil at 212. There's a tiny nerve in your neck. It's like a little oxygen sensor. You can hold your breath all you want to. That thing's gonna fire your friend, nerves gonna pull, your diaphragm's gonna yank back, the pressure's gonna drop inside your chest, and God's air is gonna fill it up. That's how it works. The arrogance. My heart is unbelievable. I, I, I repent of that. There are times when I'm so close to God, He's so real. It's like a haunting, like a scary movie. I can't even get away from Him. But I must confess to you, there are times when it's an intellectual
1: thing.
0: I don't, I don't like to say that, but it is. There's this thing. Oh yeah, yeah. There's God. He's over there. I've got this intellectual, this demonic faith, and it's so repugnant to God. And then when I recognize it, I just like fall down and say, God, can you? How do you keep? And he just keeps loving me. That's what happens. Saint Augustine said, "All of life is repentance. It's the struggle against the flesh." You don't have that till you see. him. There will come a day, ladies and gentlemen, that we will see His face. He's real. He's coming back for His church. He's coming back for those who are weak. That's who He's coming for. He's not coming for the self-sufficient. Here's the why. I'm going to close. It's 11.15. Here's the why. He told us what to do. Gospel worthy life. Told us. told us that, hey, this, here's how you do it. Now I'm going to tell you why. I mean, how simple is that? I'm going to tell you why. And this is what he says. He says, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for being obedient. He says, He says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him at the name of Jesus every Excuse me. And it's stoked. I got to say, to everybody start over again. Here we go, Russ. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Let me remind you what Paul is writing here is true 2,000 years ago. It's true today. There will come a day that every knee will be on the ground at His name, at the shout of His name. That's what's going to happen. They will confess He is Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, it won't be just the righteous that would do it. It'll be everybody. It'll be those who doubted Him. It'll be everyone. guys, we have the message. We have a message of hope. We know this intuitively. We understand that there'll come a day when he returns. And there's, as Francis Chan says, there's there's no overestimating the vulnerability you will feel when we see his face. There's no way to overestimate that. We will be exposed for everything that we are. And the only hope that we have is Him. It is by His blood, His sacrifice. I'm going to ask our guys to come up. And I'm going to close with this. Um, You guys have been very patient. And I I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate you letting me speak uh, like this. Um, I believe it's what God wants us as a church to hear. But... Uh, the message today was, was focused at, a, at the church, right? It's like Malby Church, let's don't be indifferent. Let's, let's, let's remember that Christ is everything. Let's remember that we're nothing. He's everything. That's the message. It's a message of hope. It's a message of warning. Hey, you know, people who reject this beautiful gift, people who reject that gift, they get, they get what they want, and that is separation from God. God help them. The thing about it is you can have this knowledge and still miss it. You can have this, I understand about Jesus dying for the sins of the world and you can be very active in doing things and even helping the poor and time and time again where, where you know, Jesus warns about you know, those that many will say about I've done these things in Matthew 7. And so it is my heart as a pastor, it's my heart for you to, to recognize that you, you can't be vulnerable. You can miss it. There's a guy here uh, before um, I took over, this guy, His guy's name, Gary Taylor. And Gary was a guy, well, yeah, he's not dead. I mean, he, he, he preached like a guy. But he had these sayings, he had these, these analogies that were so clear, I just remember them. And, and he preached a passage that Justin preached uh, just a few weeks ago. And he taught us to do a, 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 what he called breath prayers. When, when you get on those moments where, where you are arrogant and you can't forgive and you refuse to back down and you know that, that, uh, that, that, that you're in the right. He reminds us of that story that Jesus talked about seeing this Pharisee and this tax collector both coming to the altar. And the Pharisee, you remember what he says, God, thank you, I ain't like that tax collector, right? Thank you, I ain't like him, I tithe all the time. Lord, thank you. And then the publican, the tax collector, just pounds his chest, he don't even come to the altar. He says, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Have mercy on me. Gary said this, he said... What if you did that like as you were breathing? Remember I talked about breathing. He said, what well, if you inhaled on the Lord Jesus, like, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. What if in that unforgiving moment, you just breathe in, Lord Jesus, have mercy, a sinner. You got to be a sinner to get to heaven, ladies and gentlemen. You have to be desperate to destroy your own righteousness and receive His. You can't make it no other way. You cannot stand with your own works. You cannot stand with your own intellect. You are weak. It's the only way. And so, I'm just going to ask. I'm just going to ask you, just as, as one of the pastors here. Breathe in, breathe out. Maybe the first time in your life, I don't know. You kind of thought you were better than Charlie Manson or something, I don't know. Maybe, maybe for the first time in your life, you recognized it, you're desperate. And you just want to say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a, that's a sinner's prayer. That's a call in the name of God to save you. You can do it. That's how you do it. Always tell people, have an honest conversation with your Creator. That's what you need to do. In response to this message, have an honest conversation with your God. And just be heartfelt with Him. Do you think you as a father who is sinful know how to give good gifts? Like He does? No. He has a gift for you. And it's Himself. I'm begging you to do business with your God. That's what I'm doing. I'm not closing no eyes. I'm not not having no... I want it awkward in here. I want it weird. Alright? I want the Spirit of God. To take away that shell in your heart, that protection says, I'm all right. I want you to feel the desperateness of your heart. I want you to feel the weight of eternity. God is not obligated to call you again. If he's calling you now, deal with it. I beg you. I beg you. You ain't got to tell me. It's him. I'm not the guy. I don't. I'm just the tool. I'm the spoon he's digging with. Me. You talk to him. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me a sinner. And we'll give him the praise for it. Because it's a miracle that it happens in any man or any woman or any
1: kid.